This morning, as you can imagine, we are quite rightly focusing on Easter Sunday. And can I encourage you, please, to turn in your, for our scripture reading to Luke chapter 24. And we're reading verses 13 to 35. And you'll find it on page 1642, 1642 of the Church Bible. Luke chapter 24. And we're beginning at verse 13. It is that well-known story, The Road to Emmaus. And Luke writes these words. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and their rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. I want to begin this morning by sharing with you what I think is one of the most humorous stories I've heard in a long time. I'm sure I've shared it with you before, but if you can't resurrect an old joke on Easter Sunday morning, when can you? A man goes to his doctor and says, Doctor, I think I'm becoming a moth. And the doctor said, Oh dear, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm afraid I really can't help you. You need to go and see a psychiatrist. And the man said, Doctor, thank you 
That's exactly what I thought. And when I was on my way to see the psychiatrist, I noticed your light was on. It is funnier than that, but nonetheless, nonetheless, what the thing, the thing about that, it, the thing I like most is this, that I imagine when I'm hearing the story, I can see the man in my mind, I can see the doctor in my mind, but I could not see the end coming. I just couldn't. Easter Sunday morning. As the disciples got up, as the ladies left ahead of some of the disciples to go to the tomb, they could not see the end coming. At Easter Sunday, as two disciples leaving Jerusalem, walking towards Emmaus, had no idea how that day would unfold. And they couldn't see the end coming. But by the end of the day, they understood this, that the resurrection is where real change begins. Now, in order for us to enter more deeply into this passage and grasp all that's going on, I would like you, please, to put yourself in the position of the disciples. Think of all that they had been through in the days leading up to Easter Sunday. The previous Sunday was a circus and festival and carnival atmosphere as Jesus rode into Jerusalem and crowds were singing and throwing down their cloaks and their palm branches. He taught in the temple most of that week. On Thursday night, he was arrested. On Friday, he was crucified, dead, and buried. And think of the trauma that the disciples experienced that weekend. Think of the pain and the hurt and the desolation they felt. Think of the awful sadness and the grief. And they were left Friday evening tender and sore and raw. And on Saturday, questions would come. Is that it? After all of his teaching, after the thousands coming to hear him, one miracle after another after another. Think of the lives he impacted, those he transformed. And is that it? Is this where it ends? Jesus of all people, is it over, finished? I don't think they slept much Friday night, Saturday night. Probably didn't eat a great deal. And on Sunday morning, I wonder if these two disciples, Cleopas and another, were going home. It's finished. It's over. With heads, heads down, they were walking to Emmaus. And that gives us a little sense of all that was going on. We notice, of course, the passage is clear. Verse 13, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Why? They were kept from recognizing him. What on earth was going on? 
I suspect, had I been Jesus that morning, the first thing I would have done was to run to them, put my arms around them, embrace them, give them a hug, tell them it's okay, I'm back, just as I said I would be. In chapter 18, we looked at it ever so briefly last Sunday. He said, I must go up to Jerusalem, suffer and die at the hands of the chief priests and elders and teachers of the law, and three days later, come back to life. So why didn't he show them the marks in his hands, his feet, his side? Why doesn't he just explain and let them know the joy and the celebration of Easter Sunday? But he doesn't. Could it be that there was one thing more important than the comfort of the disciples? And if so, what was it? Please note, they were kept from recognizing him. As the story continues, verse 17, he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? Jesus says, what things? Do you understand the irony in that question? That Cleopas, who wanted to engage with whom he thought was a stranger, he says to him, don't you know what's happened in and around Jerusalem in these days? irony is incredible. He was the only one who fully understood what had happened in Jerusalem in those days. And more than that, he'd understood the purposes and plans of God from eternity past. And he was the only one who knew they were coming to fruition that Sunday morning. And he asks, what things? Uppermost in the mind of Jesus that Sunday morning was this. Had they grasped it? Did they get it? Did they fully understand the magnitude, the profundity of what had taken place that weekend? And their understanding of the gospel was much more important than their immediate comfort. The comfort, the reassurance, the affirmation will come before the end of the day, but that was not his primary responsibility at that point. He wanted to know what did they make of his life and ministry, his death and now his resurrection. What things, he asks. And the answer about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and men, that our chief priests and elders had crucified him. And now it's the third day. Some of our women early this morning went to the tomb and they said it was empty. And they saw a vision of angels. In the minds of the two disciples, there was uncertainty and doubt, questions. And they wanted to make sense of all that was going on because they couldn't get their mind around it. And how does Jesus respond? Does he now give them a hug and explain and reveal himself? 
No. What do we see next? Verse 25. Or verse 21, rather. They say, But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Can you hear the wistful, poignant longing in those words? We had hoped he was the one. What did they mean by that? We had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. The popular understanding of ancient Palestine in those days was this. But it was taught in the synagogue and the temple. The Jewish rabbis would pass it down as tradition. And they taught that one day a Messiah would come. He would be God's anointed. And he would bring leadership to the people of Israel. It would be like going back to the days of David and Solomon. That they would throw off the yoke and tyranny of Rome. They would become an independent nation once again. It would be that they would become a superpower in the Middle East. That was the popular teaching of the time. That's what the Messiah would do. And there were passages in the Old Testament that talk about the reign and the glory of the Messiah. God's chosen one. But the passages that talked about a suffering Messiah, a Messiah who would die for their sins, was complex, difficult to get their mind around that concept. And so it was marginalized. It was much easier to have a political focus and a political interpretation to the prophecy than have a supernatural and spiritual interpretation. And in their minds, they are now thinking what good came out of the life of Jesus. He didn't even have the opportunity to bring together a lobbying group or a political party or folks who could represent the people. And now he's been arrested and he's now dead. What was the point in all of that? And please notice what they've said chief priests and their rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and crucified him, and we had hoped he was the one. We had hoped he was the one. Jesus continues to walk with them. Conversation, friendship, and empathy takes place. They're engaging together in dialogue. Please understand this. The road to Emmaus is so much more than empathy and dialogue and conversation. Because also that day, Jesus absolutely refused to leave them as agnostics. He went beyond the superficial to the supernatural And what does he do? Look at it, please. This is the climax of their understanding that morning at verse 27. Let's read from 25. And he said to them, How foolish and slow of heart you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the Scriptures concerning himself. Look at it again. What does he do? What is their greatest need? He takes them into the Scriptures because he understands that there in the Scriptures, the Word of God is powerful and active and able to transform and change and allow them to see what? That the gospel had come to fruition and the Messiah had come, but a Messiah much, much greater than a limited political answer. But a Messiah who would come to do what? To love them, to care for them, to transform them, to deal with that part of their lives that no one else could deal with. And he also answers the question, how is it possible God could be in all that happened on Friday? If he was a God of love and grace, how could he possibly let this happen? And the gospel is slowly but surely unfolded. And as they travel down the road to Emmaus, they come to the point of understanding. And at last they get it. At last they understand. At last they see what God has done for them. And that Christ came to deal with what? Our sin and our alienation from God. And at the cross, forgiveness and mercy and grace brought redemption. And not only for the people of Israel, but for all of humanity, for all time. That's what happened at the cross. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day. Christ on the road to Calvary. That's what was going on. That's why he took them to the Scriptures. Can you imagine what that was like as Jesus himself, off the top of his head, does what? Look at it again. And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the Scriptures concerning himself. And he conquered sin and death that day. And we have been the recipients of it these past 2,000 years. And no wonder we gather to celebrate on Easter Sunday morning. But he doesn't leave it there. What comes next? Verse 33. Excuse me, verse 30. In fact, excuse me again, let's go back to 28. And they said, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it. And then they recognized him. Then they recognized him. That was the point when the penny finally dropped and they got it. And notice what they say. What do they say? 
Cleopas looks at his friend and says, I knew it. There was something suspicious about him. I knew it. No. What do they say? Were not our hearts burning within us when he opened up the Scriptures to us on the way? Were not our hearts burning within us? That's Easter Sunday when the heart is absolutely full because the tomb was empty. He has risen. That's the point, and they get it. At last they understand that he did not come to bring a political answer, but he came to do what? To die for our sins, and to transform us, and renew us, and bring us to the point of intimacy with the living God. And it happened on Friday and came to fruition on Sunday morning. Now, if in the last ten minutes you have found your mind wandering, please come with me to the end of this story. Please remember this. Archaeologists, New Testament scholars, cannot put their finger on the map and say today, that's where Emmaus once was. There are three possible sites. One has more credence than the other two. And they're relatively sure, but they cannot absolutely definitively say it was there. But this morning, I want to tell you exactly where the road to Emmaus is. And the road to Emmaus is the place when the disciples of Christ are hurting and confused, are in pain and grief and uncertain. And asking, where is God in the midst of all of this? That's the road to Emmaus. The road to Emmaus is the place where he comes alongside his children. It's the place where he brings comfort and affirmation and assurance. It's the place where he reveals himself to you and gathers you up in his arms. It's the place where he absolutely refuses to abandon you at your point of greatest need. That's the place called Emmaus. This place, this Sunday, this Easter Sunday, that's Emmaus. And we leave here this morning rejoicing, understanding fully the magnitude and significance of the redemption of God. And we leave knowing His gracious embrace and his comforting words. And Emmaus is the place where we this Easter Sunday morning are able to say, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the Scriptures to us? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture. Thank you for your amazing love and grace towards us. Thank you that that road to Emmaus is the life we now lead, where you take us by the hand, where you lead us and you guide us and you direct us each morning of every day. 
Father, bless us this Easter Sunday. Hold us close and walk with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.